Today's scripture reading is from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. It may be found on the page 1202 in the Bible underneath the seat in front of you. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Oh, yes. Why do I do it? Why do I pick books of the Bible that have things in there that just get me in trouble? Um, but, But you heard it. A woman read that passage of scripture. I could just feel that in the room while you were hearing those words, there might have been some women that were folding their arms and hearing these phrases and thinking, why in the world would God say something like this? And what is Osborne going to say to uh, make this a little more palatable? I bet some of the women had some major hot flashes as they listened to that passage of scripture. I can also imagine that some of the ladies are saying, how come we get six verses and the men only get one? Well, I assure you, if you come back next week and if you bring your husband back with you next week, if you're a married woman, you bring your husband back here, uh, it'll even the score. Believe me, there is enough conviction in verse 7 of this passage that uh, we men will definitely get our due, okay? Um, So this morning, I do want to talk about this passage, and we're going to do it today and next week, talk about marriage. Today is the word to wives, next week the word to husbands. And I, I think the question we need to start with is, is this good news? Is the passage that you heard read that is addressed to married women, is it good news for those people? And my thesis is absolutely it is. It's good news. For one thing... Peter gives us in this passage of Scripture a very high view of women. He does. Now, I realize that in our culture today, they're going to hear these words and say this is a very low view of women, but the opposite is the case. And let me tell you why. In Peter's day, women were really viewed as second-class citizens. They really were treated that way. They were considered inferior to men. It was a patriarchal society. Women were not allowed or encouraged to get an education. But that certainly was not Jesus' view of women. Nor was it the Apostle Peter's who wrote this particular letter. In fact, don't miss the obvious. Peter is teaching women here. Women, he says, you're important members of the church. And so he writes this letter to various churches that were located in Asia Minor. And he addresses part of this letter to the women of the church because they were worthy of an education. They did need to be treated as equal to men. Peter affirms the faith of women in this passage. He says that they should try to win over their husbands. Now that was radical back in Peter's day. 
Because to think that a wife could follow her own conscience and actually try to adopt a different religion from that of her husband, that was revolutionary. And look at what Peter says about marriage. In verse 7, he calls it a partnership of grace. He speaks of the wife being a co-heir of the gracious gift of life. And I don't want you to miss the fact that Peter also affirms the inner character of women as over against seeing them as mere sex objects. He talks about the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Ladies, that is a high compliment to you. But still, I can hear objections from women when they read this passage. And I imagine that the thing that really gets under some of the skins of women here is that word in verse 1 where Peter starts off and he says, Wives, be submissive to your husbands. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Now, first, I need to say that I want to acknowledge that there are plenty of people in the church this morning who are not married. Uh, I'm speaking this morning to both young and old, both single and And married, divorced, and widowed, and I totally recognize that this passage really seems to focus more on married women. But I want to say that this sermon, nor is the Bible, just for one demographic. It's for everybody. The Bible is written and it's profitable, it says, for all of God's people. The whole Bible is profitable for the whole church. Some of you this morning may one day be married. And you need to understand what God's pattern for marriage is. Some of you are parents who need to teach your little ones and your teenagers what God says about the roles of husbands and wives. Others of you may never marry. Others of you are divorced or widowed and may never marry again. But you know what? You need to know how to pray for and to encourage and to disciple the people in our church who are married. This is a corporate thing. It's for the whole body of Christ and it's profitable for all. And I I will try both today and next week to make application to those of you who are not married. So I think you're going to take away from this both principles as well as application that apply to everyone. But let's go back to our main question. Is it good news where Peter says for wives to be submissive to their husbands? And I'm going to say, yes, it is good news and for three reasons. So let's dive into reason number one. Why is it good news for a wife to submit to her husband as Peter talks about here? The reason is that if you do that, you will have a more positive influence upon your husband than if you don't submit to him. You'll actually find out that submission gives a more positive influence upon your husband than lack of submission. Look at verses 1 and 2. Peter says, wives, be submissive to your husbands so that... If any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Now, if you were here last week, you heard Seth go through the end of chapter 2 with you. And at the end of chapter 2, which sort of sets the stage for chapter 3, Seth explained very well what submit means. And so I'm not going to go elaborating on all of that. But I will just reiterate that to submit means to subordinate yourself under a recognized authority. It means that you are voluntarily, willingly yielding your rights. You're setting aside your privileges so that somebody else might have control. The other day I was heading home from work. 
It was about 6 p.m. on Wednesday, I think it was, and I was on Alfea Trail going south toward my home, which is in Eastwood. Now, if any of you travel that route on your way home at the end of the day, you know what Alfea Trail is like at the end of a workday, don't you? I was around the Walmart superstore area, the Blockbuster area there, and you know what I was doing? Because it was such a long, like two miles long thing of traffic. I was as close to the bumper of the car in front of me as I could get. And when he moved forward, I moved forward because there were all these cars that were trying to cut in line, and I'm not about to give way in line when I'm trying to get home. And so I stayed, and then the, the red light turned green. You know what that's like when you're by that Burger King, right? There are all these cars that are trying to sneak their way in, and so I didn't let them. I stayed up on the bumper of that car, and I followed as close as I could until I heard a siren behind me. I looked in my rearview mirror, and sure enough, there was the blue light. It was a police officer on his way to a call. What did I do instinctively? I pulled over. I let him cut in. Because he was on his way and he is an authority. That's a little bit of an illustration of what submission is. I did not submit to just anybody. Women in general are not told here to submit to men in general. But rather to the man, if you're married, whom God gives authority to. And so in like manner, when I saw that authority, I pulled over and I let him cut in. Submission is kind of like that in a home with this big difference. I could have sat there in my car muttering curses upon that police officer under my breath. I could have been frowning about letting him in and doing it just externally. Uh Uh-uh, that won't cut it. Women, you have to, if you're doing a biblical submission, you have to do it gladly, willingly, voluntarily, and respectfully. That's really the key thought when you read this command about submission. It's letting your husband lead you respectfully. And get this, even if your husband is not a follower of Jesus Christ. If you are married and you are one who loves Jesus and your husband does not, that does not exempt you from this biblical charge. Now, if you know a woman in that situation... That is, she's a Christian, her husband is not. Or if you yourself are in that situation, you know how much a woman's heart yearns for her husband to be a godly follower of Jesus. You know that if there's one thing a woman longs for, it is to be one with her best friend, to be one with him, intimate with him in matters of the heart and of the soul. You know Not to mention her concern for where he spends eternity. But you know all of that is so vitally important to a married woman, right? So how can a Christian woman get her husband to change? It's a very, very important question. There's nothing more important to this woman than seeing her husband love her in Christ, being one with Christ, going to heaven one day. How can she get him to change? By preaching at him? Is that going to do it? By turning on Christian radio and turning up the volume as loud as it can go so he can't get away from the message of those songs? By bugging him about why he doesn't go to church and why he doesn't do this and why he doesn't do that and why, you know, the Bible's not important? Is that the way to get your husband to change? Peter says no. No. Verse 1, 
you should try to win him without words. In fact, if you try to win him or persuade him or get him to change with words, with preaching, with lecturing, with scolding, you may only drive that man further away. Ladies, you you need to see here an amazing influence that you have over your husband. But you influence him best by respecting your husband, by encouraging him, like I was talking with the children about, and doing those things and complimenting him and building him up rather than by making his life miserable. Why is that? Why is it that men can be driven away when you disrespect him like that? Here's why. We hate being nagged. I mean, it's just true. We receive nagging as complaining. And women, hardly anything will drive us away from you and into our hobbies, into our football games, into our friends, into our work, and maybe even into the attention of another woman faster than a complaining, unhappy spirit. I'm not saying that's right. I'm not, say, I'm not trying to justify that or defend that. I'm just saying that's the way we are wired. And wouldn't you know it, even the Bible teaches this. Even the Bible's teaching this. Proverbs 25, 24 says that it's better to live on the corner of a rooftop than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. <laughs> How is that for an honest scripture passage? I love this one even more. Proverbs 19.13 says that a quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping. (laughs) I didn't say that. I didn't make it up. It's in the Bible. A constant dripping. But look, let's turn the table and look at this positively. What What is God saying on the positive side? He's saying that when you affirm your mate... When you encourage him and honor him, what you're doing is you're able to draw him closer toward you and toward the Lord. Don't miss the promise in verse 2. Husbands may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your, of your lives. That word reverence is the Greek word phobos, which in some cases means fear, but in this case means respect. When they see and when they feel and and receive your respect and honor and affirmation. You're building up, you're you're complimenting instead of you're, you're tearing down. It says that they may be won over to the Lord. To respect or reverence means to esteem, to appreciate, and to build up your husband. Now, at this point, I need to add some important caveats. This does not mean that you turn a blind eye to his sin. It does not mean that you stand idly by and say nothing when you disagree with something he's into. And it doesn't mean that in extreme cases you don't stand up to him and insist that he change. And I'm talking about cases in which he has a self-destructive addiction or where he breaks covenant with you or where he abuses you, or threatens you, or hurts, or abuses your children, or something like that. The Bible gives you the allowance to take action in those cases. I have counseled many, many different women 
And I've told them to do whatever they need to do to protect themselves and their little ones. So let me just say at this point, if that description, if these types of situations are going on in your life right now, don't, don't tolerate that type of situation in the name of Christian submission. But rather, get help. Talk to somebody. Do you know we have marriage mentors in our church, a whole marriage mentoring ministry that's especially for you when you're going through a difficulty like that. We have a staff counselor named Johnny Lalonde who would love to sit down and talk with you about what's going on in your home. Speak to one of the pastors or the elders or the deacons about the situation that you face because uh, it's really, really important that you understand the whole Bible's teaching on this subject of submission. It's not giving you a command to be beat up, to be uh, abused, and to allow something to go on that's going to hurt you, hurt your husband, and hurt your family. One of the most famous examples in history of the power of a godly wife is a woman by the name of Monica. Monica was the mother of St. Augustine and lived centuries ago. And one of the things that we know about Monica comes to us through Augustine's confessions where he wrote about his mother very, uh, very well. He, uh, it appears that God used Monica's witness and her prayers to win both her son, Augustine, and her husband to Jesus Christ, even though her husband was not converted until very late in his life, in fact, almost close to his death. Augustine writes this in his confessions about his mother, Monica. He says, and he's speaking to God here, he says, she served him as her Lord. Speaking of her husband, she served him as her Lord and did her diligence to win him to you, preaching you to him by her behavior, making her reverently amiable to her husband. Ladies, could I ask you to take that phrase? Remember it preaching Christ to her husband by her behavior. Why is submission to your husband? Good news. We've seen one reason. It's because when you submit, you actually have a more positive influence upon your husband than if you did not. Let's go on to reason number two. Why is it a good news? Why is it a good thing for a wife to submit to her husband? Because if you do that, you will attain a beauty that is more than skin deep. You'll attain, says Peter, a beauty that is more than skin deep. Look at verses 3 through 5. Peter says, your beauty should not come from outward adornment such as braided hair and the wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothes. Instead, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. In other words, says Peter to wives, if you want to be attractive to your husband, and you should be, practice submission. Practice it every day. That will make you beautiful to him. Find ways to be his cheerleader. Every day, think waking up in the morning, how am I going to be my husband's cheerleader today? It'll make you beautiful in his sight. Um, I'm sure you've all been keeping up with Heidi Montag lately, right? Well, actually, men don't keep up with Heidi Montag. It's probably not going to be a good thing. Heidi Montag's a 23-year-old uh, uh, babe who was the star of the MTV reality series, The Hills, and now in her own words, she is a pop star. 
Well, we know about Montag that she recently had 10 different plastic surgery procedures done at one time. Breast implants, a brow lift, Botox in her forehead, a nose job, fat injections in her cheeks, a chin reduction, liposuction of her neck, legs, back, and sides, and then she had her ears pinned back. It all took 10 hours. You know what Heidi's uh, plastic surgeon said when he was interviewed about this? He said, this was not a lot of plastic surgery. These were just little tweaks. Little tweaks. When Heidi was asked how her surgery might impact young, impressionable girls and young women, she said this, well, my main message is that beauty is really within. Thanks, Heidi. Beauty is really within. It's kind of interesting to me that her latest CD is entitled Superficial. Charm, the Bible says, is deceptive. And beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be what? Praised. A woman, to be fear, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Peter's not criticizing a reasonable concern for clothes and hairdos and jewelry. No, he's not suggesting for a moment that you start you know, going out and shopping at Goodwill and forgetting about makeup and forgetting about your hair. He's not saying that. What he's criticizing is excessive concern about your looks that is meant only to draw attention to yourself. See, in Peter's day, it was common for well-to-do women to dress excessively, to spend an elaborate amount of time and money on making themselves look fashionable and having the latest styles and so on. Peter is saying, women, don't be showy. Don't base your value on beauty and style. Concentrate on that which is truly beautiful. That is your inner self. Develop that, women. Develop your inner self. That phrase means the hidden person of the heart. Because that, says Peter, is what is of great worth to God. It's of great worth to God and it's really what makes you beautiful to men. See, it's what's on the inside that counts. It's character. It's not cheekbones that matters the most. You know, if I could just speak to you, the early service, we didn't have a lot of girls and young women and teenage girls in, in the service, but we do now. And if I could just talk to you for a moment, I, I really feel for you. I really feel for you because everywhere you turn, our culture is telling you that if you want to be worthwhile, you have to look really hot. It's all about good looks and sexiness. But you know what real men are looking for? I'm talking about real men, the kind of men you want to spend your life with. What real men are looking for, they're looking for a woman, as it says in verse 4, with a gentle and quiet spirit. They really are. That means somebody with a good personality. Somebody who loves Jesus and likes herself. Someone who is comfortable in her own skin. Somebody who is peaceful in her soul. Someone who, who, uh, whose heart is at rest. That's really what makes you women attractive to the kind of men you would want to commit to. So girls, if you want a husband, here's what the Bible says to do. Develop meekness. Develop meekness. Develop an easy confidence about yourself. An easy confidence. And guys, guys, don't be so dang superficial. You know, I mean, look on the inside. 
Look for a woman of noble character. When you find that woman, look no further. Your search has ended. Invest in her. It says in Proverbs 31 that a wife of noble character, who can find she is worth far more than rubies? Don't be fooled by what's on the outside, but look for a noble character. Okay, two things. Submission is good news. Why? Because in the first place, you'll have a more positive influence on your husband. In the second place, because it'll really make you beautiful to the men that matter to you. And the third reason why it's good news for women, wives, that is, to, to submit to their husbands, is that you, by submitting, will show the world that you're daughters of Sarah. If you submit to your husband, ladies, married ladies, you will show to the world that you're a daughter of of Sarah. Look at verses 5 and 6. Verse 5 speaking of the holy women of the past, and it says that they were submissive to their own husbands like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. Oh boy. Uh look, just let me say sidebar, this doesn't mean that men we get to be called master. Although, you know, sounds pretty good. <laughs> um Even some translations say Lord with a little L. Sarah called her husband Lord. Okay, here's what it's talking about. It's a term of of respect. It's like in our culture calling somebody Sir or Mr. Now, Mr. sounds real different from Lord. (laughs) I I don't think the wives ought to call their husbands, Hey, Mr. That doesn't sound very respectful. But anyway, you get the drift. It says... uh, Sarah obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and don't give way to fear. Notice that, the last part of that verse. This teaching in 1 Peter 3 is not about fear and intimidation. Men, this passage does not give us a kind of dictatorial authority in the home. The wife is not to live in fear, but she is, it says there, to obey her husband. Now let me speak to this because I think Sarah is an interesting choice of a woman for Peter here. Sarah was not a timid, weak soul. Meek, yes, but weak, no. She could be stubborn. Sarah expressed her opinion on several major occasions and in one particularly one that I'm thinking of, Abraham followed her advice because it was of the Lord. But the key thought here in verse 6 is that Sarah obeyed Abraham. Now, I know that we've taken that phrase out of wedding ceremonies, and we don't typically think of of wife obeying husband. But when you look at Sarah, you understand what we're talking about here. For example, in Genesis 12, when God called Abraham to pick up and move to Canaan, a place he had never been before, a place he knew nothing about, we can imagine that what Sarah did, obviously, was something like, okay, let's go. I'm with you. On two separate occasions, Genesis 12 and Genesis 20, Abraham lied about Sarah being her sister, his sister instead of his wife so that he could basically save his own skin. And apparently Sarah said she was a woman of submissive faith. She said something like, Okay, Abraham, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh, I think you're wrong, but you're, you're the boss. And she went along with that. Now, we also don't know because we're not told whether Sarah knew that Abraham was going to take his son Isaac up to the top of Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. 
doesn't say, I don't believe we know for sure if Sarah was in on that conversation. But if she was, then once again we see she was a woman of submissive faith. And she believed God would provide, just like Abraham did. See, daughters of Sarah let their husbands take the lead. They die a little death. They do. A godly wife dies a little death. She lets go of her need for control and allows her husband the freedom to be wrong. Sarah acknowledged Abraham as her head. She didn't fight it. She didn't chafe under it. She didn't try to control him. And God calls Christian wives to follow her example. How did Sarah do it? How did Sarah do that? And more importantly... How can you do it if I'm speaking to a Christian married woman? Verse 5 tells us how Sarah did it. She hoped in God. You might want to underline those three little words. The women of the past, these holy women, put their hope in God. What is hope? We learned a few weeks ago that hope is confident expectation of future grace. Confident expectation of future grace. See, Sarah trusted in more than a nice home and a tree in the backyard and two beautiful blonde children and a black Labrador retriever. That was not the source of Sarah's hope. Rather, Sarah, like Abraham, believed God and it was credited to her for righteousness. Women, even the best husband in the world, hear that. Even the best husband in the world, even if your husband did everything right, even if he had it all together, never did anything wrong, that husband will never meet your deepest need. Not really. The best husband out there is a really big sinner. You know who your real husband is? And this applies to everybody. Married, single, young, old. Doesn't matter who you are male or female, your real husband is God. And God never cheats on his bride. If you're a part of his kingdom, the church, you're his bride. And the truth is, you've been an unfaithful wife. And so have I. You and I cheat on God all the time. We turn to other lovers for satisfaction, don't we? We've been unfaithful to God more times than we can count. And yet, what did God do? He came running after us. He pursued us. We sang earlier, Jesus sought me when a stranger, wandering from the fold of God. How did God seek us out? He sent His Son, Jesus, to live the life we could never live, to die the death we deserve to die. And to hope in God means to trust that if God did all that for you, then He will never leave you. He will be with you through thick and through thin. God won your heart. Through the blood of his son. And if he did that. He will never let you go. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe wife. Maybe. Because God pursued you. He's also pursuing your husband. Because God saved you. He can also save your husband. And so God's call to you and me today. Is to encourage to the Christian wives, he is saying to be submissive and to be showing the world that you're a daughter of Sarah. Let me leave with you some practical advice 
I know we're a little over time here, but I think it's important for those of you that are in a marriage with a man who does not honor God. There might be some women here today who, whose husbands are not walking with God or they're out of fellowship with God. I want to give you about five or six things to take away with you to, to do these, to use these as ways of fleshing out what biblical submission looks like. First of all, pray for him. Pray for your husband. I mean, that goes for everybody, right? But pray for that husband that's not walking with God. Secondly, live a life of repentance. Live a life of repentance yourself. Repent constantly. Take the beam out of your own eye before you try to take specks of sawdust out of his eye. Third, recognize that even if he's not in fellowship with God, he's still head of the home and treat him with respect as such. That means to serve him to thank Him, to encourage the good things you do see, to try to focus on His finer qualities and build Him up rather than tear Him down. I mean, wouldn't you treat an unsaved friend that way? You wouldn't criticize your unsaved friend. You would be warm and loving and patient and gentle with him or with her. Be that way with your husband. Fourth, make your home a welcoming place, a place where he wants to be. That will be a good thing. Uh, Fifth, take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. What do I mean by that? I mean to get in community. If you don't have some deep, meaningful friendships, find a life group, find a D group, get together with people and open up to them. Seek counsel. Share with others. Develop some kind of dependence upon the body of Christ. And then finally, do what the holy women of the past did. Believe the gospel. Hope in God. Let's pray. Lord, you're the redeemer of marriages, of families, the redeemer of broken lives. Every single one in this room who is a believer is testimony to that fact. You fix broken things. And Lord, I'm aware that there are some people in the room this morning that are in the exact situation that Peter wrote about. Father, our prayer is that you will use these godly women, use their patience, use their encouragement, use their submission to win over those men. We pray that you'll give these women great grace to live out of the gospel, to put their hope in God, to find their trust in the one who will never leave them, who has never cheated on them and never will, who has never broken faith, never broken covenant. Lord, help these women and help us in the body of Christ to come around these women, to come around these single moms, to come around these people who are hurting, who have experienced the distortion of this gift of marriage. Lord, would you help our young people in this church to love godliness and holiness? Help our young women to to yearn to be a daughter of Sarah. Help our young men to be men who are looking not on the outside, but on the inside character, the hidden person of the heart. May we here at UPC, Lord, we pray, turn our culture around. May we turn the world upon its head. May we value what you value. May we love what you love and hate what you hate. And may this church be a shining testimony in this community to what our Redeemer, the fixer of broken things, can do in the worst of situations. Father, would you do that? We pray that for the sake of your name and your fame, you'll glorify yourself. 
in every home represented here today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.